uh, got your Bibles, I'd invite you to get them out right now. We're going to be uh, looking at several passages of Scripture again, as we always do. If you don't have one with you, just grab one from in front of the seat, or underneath the seat in front of you there. Uh, there should be a couple. There's more in the lobby if you don't find one uh, in the seats. But um, just one thing that I wanted to bring to everybody's attention here before we get going. There's a lot of stuff we've been talking about over the last few months, uh, really since uh, January. I think we've been doing this Revelation study. And uh, lots of good questions, lots of uh, conversations during the week about this stuff. I know my uh, small group that we have on Thursday morning, we, we talk a lot about this stuff. And uh, jot questions down if you have them, okay? You can even get on line right now if you want and kind of have your email open. And I love emails about this stuff and questions and concerns or maybe I left something out or so maybe I said something uh, not correctly. I, I'm, I'm fine with all of that. I'd like to hear more of that. And I think uh, you can, if you take some time, even during the service, just if, if, if I say something you don't understand or reference a verse you didn't quite get, just jot that down and send us or send me a note during the week and I'd gladly get back to you about it. Because this is a, it's a big topic we're talking about here now for the to this week. And we talked about last week. I think we'll probably be end up talking about it again next week. And we've taken kind of a pause at the end of chapter 9 in Revelation. Just There's a new start to the story coming. And before we start it, we are talking about this question of uh, the thing that everybody's been asking me for months. Uh, what about the rapture? What, what are we learning about the rapture? When are we going to talk about the rapture, Dan? Well, okay, we're talking about it. We talked about it last week. And uh, where we started with the discussion uh, about the rapture is... You know, what, is, what do most people want to know about the rapture? When? when when's this going to happen, right? Um, well, we, we're getting there, but we needed to start with what first? What exactly are we talking about when we talk about this word rapture? What's, what's wrapped up in this term rapture? And we found out a couple of things last week that it's uh, certainly a more than about uh, teleportation, right? There's, there is a group of people that are going to be moved from one place to another at some point, but that's not really the main point of the story. It's not really the main point of this thing called the tribulation, or sorry, the, uh, the rapture, because here's the thing um, that it's about, the first thing that's about, it's about a transformation, first of all. Philippians 3 says, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. And then we went into 1 Corinthians 15 quite a bit, uh, this whole uh, passage that uh, Paul's writing about. What about resurrection and what about glory and what kind of body will we have? And he says to this, um, just as we have been born the image of, in the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven for this perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body, this stuff that we're made of now, must put on immortality. Because, Romans 8.29 says, we are predestined to be conformed into the image of the Son. And that's part of what the rapture is, this transformation of our bodies, our, our mortal bodies putting on immortality. That's the transformation piece. It's not just about transformation, though. It's also about adoption at that time. Um, John 1 says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. 
Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Romans 8 says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And not only the creation, but we ourselves groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption of son, as sons and the redemption of our bodies. So what is the rapture? It's not just a translocation. It's a transformation and it's an adoption. It's the event in the future where the followers of Christ are finally and fully revealed to all of creation as they take on the very form of Jesus and become like him in substance and in standing. The immortalization and the adoption of the sons and daughters of God. That's what the rapture is. All that being said then, when? When is this going to happen? Well, you know what I told you I was going to tell you that this week, the answer to that, but I, I changed my mind. It doesn't matter. It'll all work out in the end. Let's just move on. No, no, we're not going to do that. It's important. It does matter. And uh, we've, in the two passages that we studied last week, First um, Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15, uh, we got quite a few details on this. Well, I'll get you to turn with me, First Thess- Thessalonians 4. It's page 987 in my Bible. It's very near the end of the Bible, very near the end of the New Testament evil, even. First uh, Thessalonians uh, chapter 4. We spent some time on this uh, last week. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do, have no hope. And don't worry about the people who have already died, is what he's saying. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus Christ, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by word from the Lord, that we who are alive and are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Okay? Here's the story. Let me just paraphrase. Let's just get the point form of what Paul has said here as far as the rapture question. When is this? Because this is where we get the term rapture from, right? This, we will be caught up together. Um, I forget the Greek word uh, that, it is, that it is, but the, the Latin word that we get this is raptura. And so we've transliterated that word and, cause, and called this catching up is now the rapture. And this is the synopsis of the events here. Jesus will descend from heaven, Paul says, with a cry of command and the voice of an archangel at the sound of the trumpet of God. Then the dead in Christ will be resurrected and the still alive in Christ, those who are not asleep, and the newly resurrected will be caught up together in the clouds and they will all meet the Lord in the air and will be with him forever. Okay, that seems pretty straightforward from this passage here. Uh, walking through these, these things, or Jesus descends from heaven, the cry of command. Okay, whatever it is, the cry of command, uh, the voice of an archangel, the sound of the trumpet of God. What it, sounds pretty loud, okay? 
cry of command, angels, trumpets. And it leads to the second thing, a resurrection of the dead, all those who place their faith in Yahweh and his son who have died. Third, a catching up of the alive church and the newly resurrected church to meet the Lord in the air. Now, that's the first passage we looked at. I go to the second passage, that's 1 Corinthians. So just back a few pages, page 962 in the church Bibles. 1 Corinthians 15, 50-53 says this, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Okay? Not all will die, Paul says, but all will be transformed. All, all will be changed in the moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, he says. Because then he says the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, and we will be changed. All very similar languages, right, to First Thessalonians. We just saw First Thessalonians 4. Apparently there's a loud trumpet sound. The last trumpet, Paul calls it here, loud trumpet sound, followed by a resurrection, which is followed by a transformation of those who are alive at that time. Okay, two passages, pretty similar, right, in what they say, mention about this catching up. Let's, let's just uh, summarize this. If we put 1 Thessalonians 4 together with 1 Corinthians 15, we get the following sequence of events, okay? The Lord will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will be resurrected. Then we who are alive are, will be transformed in an instant in the twinkling of an eye, and all who are in Christ will be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Okay, so that's kind of what we learned. That is what we've learned from those two passages, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15. I wonder if there's any more passages about the rapture that we could inject uh, into this uh, amount of information and come up with an even more broad statement about what it is. Well, well thankfully, there's a, there's a couple. And so what I'd and invite you to do is uh, flip over to 2 Thessalonians, if you would. 2 Thessalonians, page 989 in your Bibles. And I, we're going to read that. And we're going to add a few more things into the story here because Paul uh, says more about it in the second time he writes to the Thessalonians. Let me read this. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 to 12. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word, or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, and you know what is restraining him now so that he may re be revealed in his time? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. 
Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all powers and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Okay, that's a a big uh, mouthful there. We're not going to cover all of that today, but we are going to get started on it. The day of the Lord, okay? Go back to uh, verse 1 and 2. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him. Sounds like the same subject matter to me as we just discussed in 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4. Uh, We ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Okay. Our Lord Jesus, uh, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together with him. Notice that he links those things together with this thing at the end of verse 2 called the day of the Lord. Okay, just before I explain this, I just want to know the day of the Lord is a very specific thing in the Bible. Okay? That phrase, that exact phrase, the day of the Lord, is used 23 times in the Bible, 16 times in the Old Testament, 7 times in the New Testament. It's a specific wording used to reference a specific promise about a future event. The day of the Lord is something that the prophets have been warning about since the time of Isaiah 700 B.C. Isaiah 13 says, Wail for the day of the Lord is near, as destruction from the Almighty it will come. Jeremiah, 100 years later, Jeremiah 46 says, That day is the day of the Lord God of hosts, the day of vengeance to avenge himself on his foes. First Peter says in chapter 3, The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. We could go on and on reading the descriptions of this time of history in the future that's called the day of the Lord. And I think Paul knows what he is saying here when he is writing to the, to the Thessalonians. He knows the words he's using. Okay, just think about what's happening here. The Thessalonians are worried that somehow Jesus has come and collected his church and they have somehow missed it. Um, it sounds like someone has been telling them, hey, Thessalonians, hey, Jesus has already returned to get his people. You missed out, man. You missed it. And Paul wants to, they're, they're very worried about this, and Paul wants to clear this up for them. Verse 2, hey, Paul, let me paraphrase. If someone is acting like this, if someone is talking like this, even if someone has a letter that they tell you is from us, who is us, well, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy are the ones writing the letter. We see that in verse 1. Even if that is happening, don't believe it, because then Paul summarizes um, all of that to the effect that Jesus has come. It might, he, don't, don't let people tell you his, his people have been gathered. Don't let people tell you you've missed it out. Don't let anyone tell you that the day of the Lord has come. What he's saying. Paul is including 
or at least relating the coming of Jesus and being gathered to him as things that happened at this time called the day of the Lord. Let me just try to say it in plain modern language English, okay? Hey guys, Paul says, I've heard you're worried that you missed the rapture. That Jesus has come back and gathered his people and you weren't included. Don't worry about that. In fact, if you hear or read anything that says anything about the day of the Lord and it already having happened, don't believe it. That's kind of the vibe that Paul is giving off here. Verse 3, let no one deceive you in any way, he says. Paul's like, that's impossible. That can't be. Don't believe it. And then Paul says, why? In verse 3, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. That, that day, the day of the Lord, the day when, among other things, Jesus comes back and gathers us up to himself, that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and unless the man of lawlessness is revealed. I think this is pretty straightforward what Paul is saying here. And Paul's like, look, you guys are worried about the rapture and you missed it? That can't have happened. Don't worry. And that can't have happened because the rebellion hasn't happened yet. And the man of lawlessness hasn't been revealed yet. So the, you can't have missed the coming of Jesus because he's not coming until those things happen. Can't, be ha can't have happened yet because the rebellion hasn't happened yet. The man of lawlessness hasn't revealed, been revealed yet. And the day of the Lord is not coming until those things happen. Okay? Is that kind of make it sound like normal English? I hope so. So if we put what this passage teaches together with what we've already studied, okay, we get the following answer to our question. Our question is, when is the rapture? Well, the answer is, um, after the rebellion comes, and after the man of lawlessness is revealed, and after the last trumpet sounds, and after the Lord descends from heaven with the cry of command and with the voice of an archangel, and after the resurrection of the dead in Christ, and after the transformation in an instant in the twinkling of an eye of all who are in Christ yet still alive, then all will be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Okay? Basically, seven things laid out. The rebellion the revealing of the man of lawlessness, the last trumpet, the return of Jesus with a shout and a cry of command, then there's a resurrection and a transformation, then a gathering together with him. That's the sequence of events when you put all three of these things together. I, I, I think that's just logical and plain reading of Scripture there. Now, a word about systems. Theological systems, okay? Any, anybody ever heard of the, all of the, heard many isms related to Bible study and Christianity? Maybe like uh, dispensationalism. That's a, that's a word that people use to, uh, in church land. Or covenantalism. How about premillennialism or postmillennialism or amillennialism? Or how about pre-tribulationism or mid-tribulation or post tribulationism, all the, all the systems and isms, there's different kinds of frameworks or systems that we use to try to help us understand the Bible. And 
There is nothing wrong with that, okay? I'm not, I'm not smashing or bashing systems that people use to try to help us understand what the Bible says. The Bible's a big book. It's a complicated thing. It's a long story. There's some good ways to, to come at understanding standing it. There's sets of theological beliefs or presuppositions that are designed to try and help us make sense of the, of the bigger picture stuff, of like the meta-narrative stuff of the Bible. How do, you, how do we make sure we understand the Bible as a whole as being true and consistent throughout? All good stuff. Now, there is value in those things. Please hear, I'm not smashing any of that. Value in trying to understand the Bible as a holistic whole and making guidelines of how we're going to do that but here's the thing we never want to be in a place where our system nullifies the plain meaning of the language okay and we never want to be in a place where that system abrogates the plain meaning of the language it doesn't make sense to me that in order to understand the bible you need to first understand a theological system I think God is very big on truth. Okay? He's very big on saying what he means and meaning what he says. Isaiah 46 says, I am God, there is none, uh, there is no other. I am God and there is none like me declaring, declaring the end. He's speaking, for, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Right back in Exodus, God says to his people, pay attention to all that I have said to you. Isaiah, give ear, hear my voice, give attention, and hear my speech, it says. The Bible is full of God saying over and over again to everybody he addresses through it, listen to me. Listen to me, people. Believe what I have told you. Trust in my word. Now, it's my opinion that if we need to understand a theological system before we can really understand the Bible, then we're in trouble. Isn't it our hope that that's not the case? Isn't it our hope that anybody can pick up the Bible and read it and understand it as God's word written to them? That we can open up the Bible and read the words and understand what's being said. That the plain meaning of Scripture is available to all who want to know it. You just have to read it. And anything that any theological system might bring into the equation, however good and however helpful it is, cannot change the meaning of the Bible. Can't change the meaning of God's words that he gave to the people he was speaking to. Let's just, no matter what we do, let's just take God at his word first before we try and worry about anything else. Let's just read the words as plain, normal language and take it from there, okay? So with all that being said, I do want to mention one system item that is pretty well known this week. Here's the question. Can the rapture happen at any time? That's the imminence question, right? I, I don't know if um, I grew up in the church in like the 70s and 80s, and I don't remember the names of the movies and all this stuff and, and, the, and the sermons that I would hear, um, but it would go something like this. Uh, Jesus could come back, and he'd, he'd come back now, or now, 
for now. Are you ready? And then you see the movie of, I just remember one from when I was a kid, freaked me out totally. I don't know how old it was, 10 maybe. Um, but there was a couple in their house, and the, and the guy was raptured, and the, and the wife was left, and there was this razor buzzing in the sink, and he was just gone. I, I still remember that scene to this day. That's, uh, the, the idea here is imminence. Is the rapture imminent? Which means, okay, imminence means likely to occur at any given moment, something that could happen at any time. I don't know, has anybody ever heard this said? That the rap- and Jesus can buy any time. The rapture's any time. It could be this afternoon. It could be tomorrow. Is that true? According to what we just read here, imminence, something that can happen at any time. There's no prerequisites for this. There's no preconditions for this happening. According to what we know from Paul in Thessalonians when he was writing and what he wrote in the Corinthians, can the return of Jesus and the resurrection of of the dead and the twinkling of an eye transformation and the gathering together with him there, can all of that happen at any moment? Can it happen now? Can it happen this afternoon? Well, it seems to me it can't be imminent because there are prerequisites, some other things that need to happen first. Paul is very clear. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to them, don't be quickly shaken in mind. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. It seems like a set of conditions to me. There needs to be a rebellion and the Antichrist needs to be revealed. Paul clearly says those things will happen before the day of the Lord, before his coming and our gathering to him. Now, we can't have it both ways. If it's imminent, it means there's no conditions. If there are any conditions, it means it's not imminent. We can't have something that is both imminent and has conditions, okay? I'm going with Paul. He says no con- or he says there are conditions. The day of the Lord will not come until there's some other things that happen. Now, I may realize we may not all agree on all of this stuff that I'm talking about pretty much every Sunday, but especially when we're talking about the rapture and end times and stuff. Here's what I hope we can agree on, though. Um, if you still get your Bibles open to 1 Thessalonians there, just turn down to uh, 1 Thessalonians 5. And let's just read some encouragement from Paul about this, okay? Now, concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. There it is again. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of day, and we're not of the night nor of the darkness. So let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Verse 6. Don't be asleep. Pay attention. Don't be caught by surprise, is what he's saying. Jesus said these things too. Watch. Stay awake. Be ready. Pay attention to my word. And when the time of my return approaches, he says, when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Let's, Let's make that our goal, okay? To be found awake and ready and watching and waiting when he returns. Here's something else. What does this trans... 
formation and this adoption lead to? Ephesians 1 says, Blessed be the God of our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. He predestined us for adoption to himself as, as sons through Jesus Christ. In him we have obtained an inheritance. We were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of our inheritance. First Peter 1 says, Blessed be the God of our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading and kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to reveal that the last time. Okay, our adoption leads to what? To an inheritance. There's an inheritance in store for us. What are we going to inherit? The last thing that Jesus says in his seven letters to seven churches in Revelation the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Revelation 5, we read the, the chorus of heaven saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall Reign on the earth. This is a reference to something that God has been hinting at for centuries. Okay, we're going to sing another song, Gary. Come back. While they're getting here, I just want to mention something. This has been going on for a long time. This, is, this has been a promise that's been out there since the Old Testament. Uh, if you were here last year, we, dis- we um, studied Daniel for... Uh, several months, actually, the book of Daniel. And page 745 in the church Bibles, Daniel chapter 7. I'm just going to read what it says there. Daniel chapter 7 gives this heavenly scene of, um, I looked, and thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat, and his clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool, and his throne was fiery flames and its wheels were burning fire and the court sat in judgment and the books were opened and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man and he came to the ancients of days and was presented before him and to him was given dominion and a glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed we get a little more clarity on verse 26 and 27 But when the court shall sit in judgment, and his, the the beast's dominion is taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end, the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole of heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Their kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey them. The resurrection and transformation and gathering that God has promised, it, it's going to happen. And hey, it is for deliverance, okay? Second Thessalonians 1 makes it very clear. God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant you 
and to grant relief to you who are afflicted when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven. Okay? It is about relief from affliction. But that's just the beginning. We have a kingdom to inherit at this time. The day is coming when God is going to prepare this world for the return of His Son. And the rebellion will occur and the man of lawlessness will be revealed and great tribulations and troubles will flood this world and great signs will appear in the heavens and on the earth and the powers of heaven and earth will bend their hearts and minds to destroying the earth and all its inhabitants. But our God is not troubled and he gathers his opponents into his land and to approach his city and just when it looks like total destruction for all is inevitable the Lord will descend from heaven and the dead in Christ will be raised and we who are alive will be transformed and we will all join our king and all the powers of this earth and heaven will stand together to fight him revelation 17 14 says they will make war on the lamb and the Lamb will conquer them, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with Him are called chosen and faithful. And we will watch as our King destroys the destroyers of the earth, and watch as our King treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, and He will march over the earth and into His city, to claim his prize, to claim his inheritance, to claim the earth and all its kingdoms as his own, and they will all be handed to him. Our God is amazing. Our king is amazing because here's the thing. We've been adopted. We've been made part of the family of God, and our king is also our brother. And our king, our brother... He alone is worthy of inheriting the kingdom, but he refuses to inherit his kingdom alone. Our God always does more than we can ever ask for or imagine. And when Jesus comes back to inherit his kingdom, he's bringing millions of people, people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language, every era of history, to share that inheritance with them to rule and reign and possess the kingdom of Christ together with him forever. That's what happens. He's done it all. He has purchased it all with his own blood. He is the one who came from heaven to die in our place. He is the one who threw off the chains of death and defeated the grave. He is the one who ascended into heaven and took his seat on God's throne. He is the one who loves us and has prepared a place for us, has prepared a kingdom for us. And he is the one who will arrive on the clouds of heaven and conquer his enemies and liberate his people. And he will establish his kingdom in righteousness and peace. And he will give it all to his brothers and sisters forever. That's the rapture part of it at least, and that's when it happens. Is there any wonder why all of heaven and earth, is there any wonder why we sing of his praise forever?